This is the Dean's Dissertation, the Cleveland Sports Review and Beyond, with your host, Greg Brenda. Well, a pleasant good day, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dean's Dissertations. I'm Greg Brenda on a um, uh, not-so-bad, we're doing this recording on a Sunday, AFC and NFC Championship Sunday. Just to put it all in perspective, you'll... You'll know why we're doing it in a little bit, but uh, temperature seems to be warming up a little. January thaw is in the air, and you know uh, I think we we've been I said this before we've been spoiled by the last two winters. Uh, a nice thaw, a nice warming up here after um, some brutally cold weeks will certainly help. Uh, we'll get into the AFC and NFC championship games. Really doesn't matter to me who's playing. It's the fact that uh, there is another AFC and NFC championship game being played without the Cleveland Browns. And we'll give you one ugly stat. And I mean ugly coming up in a few minutes. Indians have had some... Uh, well, their annual Tribe Fest, the sixth time now that they've done this uh, in a row, uh, a great turnout at the convention center uh, the other day. People um, uh, talk about baseball, get into a baseball mood, and considering what we've uh, uh, had to deal with with the Cleveland Browns and now the Cleveland Cavaliers, I, I, I folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't think, seriously, you know, the last time we chatted, we talked about the Cleveland Cavaliers extensively, didn't we? Yeah, about 20 minutes worth. And quite honestly, I didn't think that we would be starting our podcast, our dissertation, with another diatribe on the Cleveland Cavaliers. I really, 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 really didn't think that that was going to happen. Well, we must. We have to. Because of what has transpired over the last couple of games. Most notably, the 148-124 loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder on national primetime special edition, by the way, of NBA basketball on ABC the other day. Cavaliers gave up 148 points, tying their own record of futility. You know when that record was set back? It was set back in 1972. The Cavaliers were in their infancy. They were an expansion team in 70-71. They weren't very good. They weren't supposed to be very good for a while. That was just the harsh reality of having an NBA expansion team and where they were. That was the situation back in 1972. Folks, I was only a junior in high school when that happened. Yeah. The last time the Cavaliers gave up 148 points. And the Cavaliers have had some really bad teams since then. The badness leading up to the drafting of LeBron James, really bad when LeBron James left after the 2010 season for grueling, bad, horrible years. And who can forget, because we really can't forget, unless we really want to forget, the Ted Stepien era, which, which literally produced some of the worst basketball we have ever seen. 
in all of those eras, years, seasons, the Cavaliers had never given up 148 points to anybody until just recently. A team that many of you, many of the media just kept, you know, beating your chest about, well, you know, hey, don't worry, it's January, things will get better, it's their normal January swoon. And we talked about it ad nauseum in our last podcast. I'm not going to relive any of that. But the Cavaliers, I don't know. They haven't gotten any better. They barely beat a horrible Orlando team. Barely. After having a 20-point lead, hung on to win. And then were humiliated on their own floor on national TV by a team that's really good, but no one would call it an offensive juggernaut. Nobody. Yet the Cavaliers gave up 43 points in the first quarter. 43! Folks, you're not going to win games giving up 43 points in a quarter. You're not going to win anything giving up 148 points. And the continual lack of basically disdain to play defense by this team is is puzzling and it's sad and no one seems to have any answers the coach doesn't seem to have an answer right now nothing will change at least in the near future no lineup changes players are saying the right things got to be better got to figure it out don't know what's going to happen can't keep going this way. Meanwhile, the coach keeps saying, well, I like these guys. I think uh, we'll be okay. I think we'll figure it out. Well, guess what? They're really not figuring it out. And it just seems as if every team, not just a few, not just the best, but every team has figured a way to go after the Cavs' Achilles heel. Their age, their lack of athleticism, and their blatant, their blatant not wanting to play defense, which to me is stunning beyond, beyond recognition. I don't get it. I don't know how you cannot want to play defense. I don't know how you can just go out there and say, eh, who cares? We'll just we'll try to outscore everybody. I knew there would be some difficult times when Isaiah Thomas came back, and there is. He's still having a hard time, A, finding his shot and finding a way to play with the other guys. When he's on the floor, kind of demands the ball. When he's not shooting well, he wants to shoot more. And maybe most importantly that we are all saying that really hasn't changed, he doesn't defend anybody. Can't defend anybody. Doesn't defend anybody. So as bad and as weak, and the Cavaliers now last in defensive efficiency, they're not helped by Isaiah Thomas on the floor. The only way Isaiah Thomas helps them on the floor is by him scoring a lot of points. And the nights that he can't score a lot of points, he doesn't really help the Cavaliers win. His mere presence on the floor really doesn't do anything. I am, and as we said earlier, 
I am of the belief that they don't have the pieces, parts on this current roster to fix the situation. They just don't. They they can't fix it by themselves. They have to make trades. And again, there there are players out there that uh, that the Cavaliers can go after. There's all kinds of rumors, you know, floating about who the Cavs may, you know, uh, who may who they may go out and and try to get. And I think as we get closer to the NBA trading deadline, you're going to hear more about DeAndre Jordan. You have to hear more about DeAndre Jordan. And a lot of this and a lot of what you're going to hear, they're not perfect fits. But they got to be a whole lot better than what we're seeing right now. A whole lot better. J.R. Smith seems still lost at time. Tristan Thompson seems lost at time. Channing Fry is now out of the mix. Teams have found a way to um, basically shut down Kyle Korver. If a good NBA team and Golden State has the patent on this, if they can find a way to shut down Kyle Korver, the Cavaliers are certainly in deep trouble. So a lot is on the shoulders of Colby Altman in the next couple of weeks. He's got to find a way to make this team better. And maybe even more importantly, a lot is on the shoulders of the coach Ty Lue. Because if his team is not responding and if the GM can't find ways uh, to make this team better by acquiring other players, this is going to be a very short-lived postseason with the uncertainty of the future of a LeBron James. We may have seen the last great Cavs team, and that was last year when they lost to the Golden State Warriors in five. Think about that. As we said, Tribe Fest um, was a success. Fans wanting to, uh, you know, talk some baseball, get into the baseball mood, and hey, uh, I I understand that completely. Pitchers and catchers report to uh, Arizona in a couple of weeks. And as as I tweeted, you know, again, this is a very good baseball team. This is a team certainly capable of winning the American League Central. Not to say that it's going to be a cakewalk. We saw what happened last year with the Minnesota Twins. But folks, they got to get still better. To to basically lose guys, and, and we know the names. You know, I hated losing Jay Bruce. I wanted to keep Carlos Santana. Now, picking up Yonder Alonso really did help kind of uh, soothe the loss of um, of uh, Carlos Santana. But they need help in the bullpen. They got some strong arms right now. But tell me, you know, guy, you know, again, Tyler Olson and Nick Goody and Zach McAllister and Danny Otero. We already know what uh, Cody Allen and uh, and Andrew Miller can give you. But tell me the last bullpen that you said, okay, these are the guys that we can count on for the coming year, and they're all going to perform well. You know, as well as I know, that one or two of those guys will not perform. And all the Indians still have a lot of arms, and they'll be inviting guys to spring training. I still think they don't have enough arms in the bullpen. Do you? Does anybody? I mean, bullpen is the the. If you've studied, if you've watched baseball, I mean, this isn't a unique comment. This is not rocket science. 
Bullpens come and go. Yeah, there's always a few guys that are stable and steady. We got one in Cody Allen. We have one in Andrew Miller. But we got a bunch of young guys who had, you know, really good years last year. Are are you ready to say, oh, hey, they're going to be great this year? You need backup. You need extra players. You You need... You need guys that can help, and more the better. And hopefully, and hopefully the Indians can acquire some. And, and, and again, they still need some more hitters. I'm just looking at the outfield depth. If you look at the depth chart right now, it's Michael Brantley in left, Bradley Zimmer in center, and Lonnie Chisenhall in right. Some of you might like that. You got perhaps Jason Kipnis, depending on his situation. If he stays at second base, then he's not an outfield cont- uh, uh, c- contender. But Brandon Geyer, Abraham Almonte, Tyler Naquin. Okay. Not horrible. Decent. Probably could get the job done. But don't you think they need an extra bat? Wouldn't it be great to get just um, somebody else in the lineup? Wouldn't it be... Uh, wouldn't it be advantageous? And I know they're working on it. The one thing that I can tell you is that Brad Grant and Chris Antonetti are aggressive. Heck, they were taking calls over the weekend during TriFest. They want to make a deal. They know they got to get the team better. And it may not happen tomorrow. It might happen tomorrow. It might happen at the beginning of spring training. It might happen during the middle of spring training. Heck, it could happen before the trading deadline. But it's hard to imagine that the Indians are just going to stand pat and do nothing else to make this team better. They didn't get better. I mean, that, you cannot make an argument that they got better in the offseason. You might argue, well, they don't need to get better in the offseason. Well, they got a little bit worse in the offseason, folks, okay? As I said, they're still pretty good. But they got a little bit worse in the offseason. That's not even a debatable subject. So we'll see what happens as we hear more about the Indians. We'll uh, relay that to you here on our next and forthcoming podcast. AFC-NFC Championship Game Sundays. I told you I was going to give you an ugly stat. This is about as ugly as it can get, folks. Ugly. This is the 28th consecutive year. Listening closely? This is the 28th consecutive year that the Cleveland Browns have not played in the AFC Championship game. 28. 28. You wonder why I'm frustrated, why I'm so down on this organization. I know some of you, you know, you just kind of look past everything. I don't know how anyone can look past 28 straight years, 28 straight years of not playing in the AFC championship game. Folks, that's almost three decades. That's more than a quarter of a century. That's Art Modell. Al Lerner, Randy Lerner, and Jimmy Haslam as owners. Four owners. All, as I can say, co-conspirators. 
Heck, I'll even give I'll even give a little credibility to Art Modell. At least he was the last owner that actually had a team that played in the AFC Championship game. Al Lerner didn't. Randy Lerner didn't. <laughs> Jimmy Haslam. I don't know if he can even spell championship game. You know, I was um, early in my broadcasting career when I got a chance to cover the very first one. And that was after the 1986 season. In fact, it was January 11th, 1987, when the Browns and the Broncos played in the game that um, unfortunately has been termed the drive. But it was a great football game, folks. I had a great seat. I was sitting in the baseball press box right between the goalposts in the TV booth normally used for the baseball games. Me and a bunch of other media members had a great shot. We had a couple of monitors so we could see the game normally. But we were about as close to the field as anybody. We were closer to the field than the writers who were in the normal press box that we would sit during the regular season. And when Bernie Kosar hit Brian Brennan on that 48-yard touchdown with a little over five minutes to play, I said, we're going to go to the Super Bowl. I'm going to go see uh, I'm going to go see another Super Bowl live. I'm going to have the Cleveland Browns as my team not only to cover but to root for. But we know how that all ended. But we knew that the Browns had a good team and we thought, "Hey, uh maybe maybe this is just the beginning of something great." Well, guess what? In 1987, the Cleveland Browns were back at it again. This time in January, January 17th, the Browns and the Broncos in Denver this time. Uh, I was not there. I was at home watching. I saw one of the greatest, most exciting football games I had ever seen. Again, spoiled by a fumble by Ernest Biner late in the game. But 38-33, just in case you didn't remember the score. Browns gave up the ball twice in their first two possessions. But Bernie Kosar rallied the team for 30 second-half points. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, that, that, was, uh, that was about as incredible as ever. 30 points in the second half. Bernie was just unstoppable that day. Cleveland's offense had 464 yards. Bernie Kosar threw for um, 356 246 just in the second half. The only thing about that game was with the way the defenses were playing, I kind of thought all along and as much as I wanted the Browns to win and as much as I was hoping that the Browns would win, I always thought that the the team that would have the ball last was going to win. And, well... I don't want to relive those memories. A lot of people got down on Ernest Spiner. You know, Ernest Spiner actually had one hell of a game that day. He really did. And unfortunately for him, um, that fumble was what he was known for. Caught seven passes for 120 yards. He ran for 67 more. But it was that last fumble that really put the moniker on him. 
And that, unfortunately, great guy, great player, hustled. I never held it against Ernest Spiner, ever. Never, ever, ever held it against Ernest Spiner. The guy was too much of a good teammate. The guy was too much of a good player for me to hold it against him. And then the final attempt was 1985, or 1989, I should say, in which the Broncos won 37-21. Bernie Kosar hurt his finger late in the season and had some kind of contraption over it, which kind of limited his, um, his throwing motion, his throwing ability. Yet even in that game, the Browns, they, they really hung tough. The defense, though, was kind of playing on fumes in that game. Elway was in a groove, and it was virtually, he was virtually unstoppable. And at the end, it was 37-20. We knew at that point that the Browns had started to age. That maybe this would be the last championship game we'd see in a while. Little did I know that it would be the last AFC championship game that the Browns would play in in 28 years. And right now, there really isn't hope on the horizon. The Browns might get better. But to play in an AFC championship game, it's not going to happen next, next year, folks. Probably not, not going to happen the year after. I think it would have to take a lot of good things coming together, almost in a miraculous way for the Browns to be in an AFC championship game in three years. Not to say that that would be impossible, but it's highly unlikely that that would happen. And that would take us well past 30 straight years, the Browns not being in an AFC championship game. How many of you have hung on and stuck with this organization? I, I, I don't know how you do it. If you've been listening to me, you've been hearing me, I've become kind of ambivalent. Oh, I'll watch him. But I'm not emotionally attached to them as I once was. It's going to take a long, it's going to take a lot, and I mean a lot, to get me back emotionally with this football team. And they have a long way to go. Philadelphia, Minnesota, the New England Patriots again, Jacksonville Jaguars. Hey, those teams needed to do what they needed to do to get to play to go to the Super Bowl. The Cleveland Browns, unfortunately, are very, very, very far away from doing that. All right, that's another edition of the Dean's Dissertation. Until next time, subscribe to the Dean's Dissertation today.